Welcome to the second installment of a two-part discussion hosted by MedTech Insight on future pathways in regulation for medical devices, diagnostics and digital healthcare products in the UK. In session one, we asked the Association of British Health Tech Industries, Phil Kennedy and Phil Brown, about the UK's aims and ambitions in devices regulation as Great Britain occupies a new place in the world outside the EU. That discussion was posted on MedTech Insight in June. Today, in part two, we're talking to ABHI Director of Diagnostics Regulation, Steve Lee, and Digital Health Lead, Andrew Davis, on how the UK regulatory system should be shaped to accommodate innovation in MedTech, the MHRA's potential to take a lead on digital health products and the use of artificial intelligence in healthcare technologies, and ensuring that IBD's regulation in the UK, but also in the EU, does not slow down access to a group of products that are collectively pivotal in around three quarters of all healthcare decisions. Hello, gentlemen. The UK tech sector is, is on the cusp of regulatory change, and, and a key element of this is the imminent um, consultation from the MHRA on the UK CA marking. Coming first to Steve. Steve, can you tell us what the latest update on timings and content of the consultation is and on the industry's prospective input into the exercise? Sure, Ashley. Thank you. Um, I mean, MHRA has signalled that they're going to give a, um, a 10-week consultation um, and they're, they're not going to reduce that. If, if anything, they'll, they'll, they'll try and increase that to 12 weeks, but it's more likely to stay at a 10-week consultation. But the starting gun hasn't yet to fire. Um, we expect to hit, hit, hit the starting gun, I guess, soon after um, parliamentary recess has started, possibly in, in early August. So uh, when the Prime Minister will sign off for the draft consultation and, and they've got everything prepared. So um, their, 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 their ambition was July, um, but I think now more realistically it's going to be August. Um, we're expecting to see a regulation um, uh, for IVDs uh, with many routes in the EU IVDR. But uh, learning lessons from the past four years uh, since IV- IVDR was, was, was first published, and in particular, um, and we might talk about this later, the lessons of COVID-19, so some of the target product profiles, derogations, um, decision-making, and, and, and use of expertise. I mean, we'd like to see a, a regulation that stands up to the requirements of the Medicines and Medical Devices Act, um, which are around... Uh, public health and patient safety around the availability of devices, but of course also, uh, um, very importantly, um, the research and development of medical devices and the manufacturing and supply of medical devices. And those th- those tests are a legal requirement. I think in, in addition, ABHI will be will be kind of holding um, the uh, consultation uh, up to the light on um, our own three themes from our enabling regulation project, which are that the UK must be globally competitive using best practices from uh, international uh, jurisdictions um, and without diverging for divergence's sake. Uh, We want the regulations to be future-proofed to cope with new technologies such as digital uh, tech, um, 3D printing, uh, drug device combinations and advanced diagnostics. And also we want regulation that will enable uh, patients to have access to safe, uh, innovative technologies early in their life cycle. Also, I think, you know, if, if there's a significant uh, risk of attrition following IVDR or the, the, the new regulations. Um, well, we, we, we want MHRA to be able to, to step in to support um, orphan products and have a uh, or, or, and at least have a really good mechanism for transition across uh, to the new regulations. So, are you happy then that there there will be enough time and room made for IVDs in the consultation, advanced diagnostics? You said they're very much needing to be uh, pushed to the fore. 
if 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 June twenty three is a hard stop, then then there absolutely will will not be enough time. I mean, it's 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 difficult for people to meet the um the the, the May twenty two deadline for IVDR. If MHRA were to insist on a on a, a hard stop in June twenty three, there would not be enough time for many technologies, but in particular some of this and the IVDs and, and some of the new IVDs. So we really want to see some intelligent uh, uh, transition and some some sophisticated thoughts going into that about how products can transition across, maybe making use of the IVDRCE mark, uh, maybe making use of, of, of some of the, um, the MHRA's kind of newfound skills from, from COVID-19. Thank you. Uh, a recent briefing you posted on, on the ABHO website, you, ex- you said you expect UK rules to have similarities, as you just mentioned, with those of the EU IBDR. How important for the UK industry is that convergence with EU rules? Um, I, th- I think alignment is something that our members really want. Um, and and, and the, the more alignment we can get um, um, between the EU and the UK, I think um, uh, that's great. MHR has said they won't diverge for divergence's sake. And there may be some advantages in, in, in having divergence. And I think in, in things like advanced diagnostics, um, where we're kind of putting together omics and algorithms, um, they'll, 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 there's a real need, I think, the, the UK to, to, to learn lessons and, and, and perhaps uh, be at the forefront of getting innovative products into, into the hands of patients. So I'm a bit just picking up finally on that to divergence, possible divergence theme. You um, mentioned there related that the promise of best-in-class IVDs, I think that the um, MHRA referred to in its uh, two-year review recently. Um, how can that best-in-class aim be delivered in UK regulation? And can we expect um, uh, the UK regulations to arrive not just on the EU, but also on global um, IVD regulatory codes outside the EU? And I think you've alluded to that in the previous question. You know, we, we, we've got this notified body structure, which we, we assume, you know, uh, MHRA will, will, will take up uh, as approved bodies. If that promises to hold back and, and, and cause delays because people are trying to get things, you know, they've got all the evidence, but they haven't got it in, in the right order. Um, if that if that causes undue delays and stops patients getting access to innovative products where there's a, a high and clinical need, I think that would be a problem. So I think if, if, if MHRA can use their, their, their agility um, and use the use the, the you know, diverge from perhaps some of those strict adherence to the regulations, then I think we can we can hope to see uh, uh, more products with high clinical needs in the hands of patients where they're, where they're going to be a benefit. Thank you. So referring to agility, the, the need to regulate for digital healthcare products is putting a different pressure on the regulator. Andrew, the MHRA finds itself in new territory, newish territory here is not alone in that, in that position. Can you describe the size of the task it faces and how it needs to equip or re-equip to keep up with these new demands being placed on it? Yes, thanks, Ashley. Um, I'll perhaps build on what, what Steve has uh, sort of mentioned there about sort of divergence and, and, and alignment. And I think the pendulum swings slightly when you when you get to digital health and, and AI, that uh, there's perhaps more to be gained from divergence than there is from uh, alignment, particularly with sort of the EU regulations. Um, but the question here is that, you know, no, no jurisdiction has uh, really got a, a complete framework for tackling these areas. Uh, and, and that is the challenge that lies uh, in front of MHRA as well as other uh, countries in the world. Uh, how do you actually have a holistic approach to uh, addressing these technologies? And it is a broad church of te- technology as well. If you just look at AI, that there's many you know, di- different flavors of AI. 
and uh, there's a need to address those differently. So you really do have to have a, a range of skills and a range of processes and approaches uh, in place to be able to tackle the di- diversity and challenges within AI. Um, I think you know, there is some learnings we, we can take to help speed us on that route, and you know, certainly we are uh, pushing to take a very international view on what's happening in, in digital regulation uh, and particularly looking at what the uh, IMDRF has done. I think here yeah, we can use that to build upon, but we, yeah, the, the MHRA um, has a big task ahead of it and, and needs to ensure it has the right capacities and, and skills to, to tackle that. Yes, uh, Graham Tunbridge, uh, Devices Directed, pr- he promised to tackle the nuts and bolts, I think he said, of uh, AI and digital and healthcare. Um, and maybe just taking your comments a bit, bit further, what can that mean for its suggested or hopeful global leadership role um, in this particular area? Yeah, yeah, and absolutely, there is a need to tackle nuts and bolts uh, to get down to your know, scope and definitions of the products and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but to, to look more broadly at you know, global leadership, you know, we're, we're not right now in a, a global leadership position on digital regulation. But it's really encouraging to hear you know, Graham, but, but also yeah, um, uh, ministers talking about the ambition to be that global leadership and to hear you know, people within MHRA saying you know, they're, they're looking at a pathway so we do become that global leader you know, in, in a matter of years. Um, so and we really welcome that because uh, AI and digital is uh, you know, an increasing presence within our health system, so we need to ensure that we regulate it appropriately. Also, from the uh, economic point of view, you know, we really want the uh, UK to be a, a destination of choice for companies uh, within this sector and to enable uh, companies uh, utilising the skills we have in the UK and the data we have in the UK to really grow and, and expand. And regulations at, at the the core of that, you know, find that, that, that basis to work from. Thank, thank you for that, Andrew. I'd like to return to IVDs and at EU level, um, Steve, there are still only five notified bodies designated against the IVDR and the UK changes for IVD companies under the UK change of system happening at the same time or will as the EU IVDR is being prepared for by local industry. How is this dual regulatory adjustment being handled by UK companies as far as you can see are there indications that they will be overstretched resource and cost-wise? So um, at the moment, most IVDs don't need a notified body. Um, obviously, under IVDR, and we, we suspect under the UKCA regs, um, uh, most IVDs will need a notified body. So it's, 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 it's fine for products on the market at the moment. They can get a CE mark through self-declaration. Um, they can get a UKCA mark through self-declaration without, without any notified body involvement. Um, only five notified bodies um, uh, in the EU for, for IVDR, and only two effectively uh, approved bodies um, in the in, in the UK is is, is a real worry. Um, it, it, it's a real worry. We we, we know that um, MHRA are are, are looking uh, to to increase the number of um, approved bodies, um, and we don't know yet whether that uh, is is for IVDs and medical devices or, or just medical devices. Um, clearly in the, in the EU where they have 21 notified bodies for medical devices and, and five for IVDs, um, it becomes, it becomes, um, you know, the, the difference is quite stark. Um, you know, MHRA tend to play their cards very close to their chest. 
they won't say anything without full clearance. We're not getting anything other than reassurance from MHRA that they are uh, looking at approved bodies. I don't doubt that, but we, we, we really need to see some of the detail behind that, whether that's um, which, which regulations they're looking at. And, and you know, we, we, we could, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect the same kind of dashboard approach from MHRA as we see uh, from the EU um, with the, the, the number of notified bodies, um, the, the set of regulations they're looking at and, and where they are in the, in, 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 in the process. So we can look at progress and we can start to anticipate how many notified bodies or approved bodies are going to come out of the system at the end of it. So we know that there are unlikely to be any EU notified bodies for IVDs coming out anytime soon. Maybe maybe one, um, but that won't be for a little while. Uh, and, and, and it'll be a long time before we get any more than any more than six. And two in the, and two only two in the UK. You said at the moment approved bodies that can handle IVDs. Yep, um, the, the third one UL has, has, has only got like a, a single product, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not counting them. So we're only looking at BSI and SGS um, in the UK. Um, I don't see any reason why EU notified bodies shouldn't apply to be um, EU approved bodies. That would work really well um, and, 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 and um, allow UK to increase its approved body capacity. Um, and, and maybe there could be some crosstalk. Um, you know, if, if an EU notified body was also a UK, UK um, approved body, that, that, that it might make it a bit easier for, for um, a manufacturer to get a certificate in, in both jurisdictions. We'll see how that how that pans out. I suppose it's, it's, it's possible to have, you know, for the UK to start looking at notified bodies or approved bodies a bit differently and start thinking about some really highly specialised notified bodies. Um, at the moment, the, it's really complicated and difficult to become a notified body. You need a lot of processes in place. You need a lot of expertise. Um, if, if, if it was possible for, say, a IVD, uh, you know, a digital only UK approved body or, um, or, 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 or something, an approved body that only looked at drug device combinations, that might help speed things through and, and, and ease some of the, some of the pressure points. I can see in extreme cases, perhaps, um, the high risk novel devices with a high, high clinical need, MHRA could step in and, and act as the, act as the approved body and, and help to speak, to speed things along, along in that way. And, and they, they did a very similar thing, um, with orphan products when there was that kind of mass transition from, from UK notified bodies to EU notified bodies. And MHRA did a, did a huge amount of work managing those orphan products from, from, from one system to, to another, making sure that they were still available for, for use in the UK. Um, so yeah, there are, there are lots of different ways in which the, 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 the MHRA could, could make things a bit easier and make things a bit more streamlined. Um, but we, we, we need, we need a little bit more transparency now. Mm, but there are potential solutions of, as you've suggested, with the coverage gaps. Of, of course, if, if I can think of them, then I'm sure MHRA can think of them as well. Okay. Um, and could I ask you about the, uh, going back to it, the IVDR, um, the one year delay that's been, uh, pressed for by industry. Is that, is that, as far as you know, still on the, uh, the agenda for the European Commission, or are they saying nothing about it at the moment? The, the one year delay, I think that there are some. Um, jurisdictions at some countries who are looking for one year delay. I think if you, if you look to uh, MedTech Europe, they're, they're perhaps suggesting that a one year delay might not be the, 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 the only solution and there are other solutions to look at as well. Um, certainly I don't think any company should be gambling on a delay. Um, the commission, uh, is, is, is being very resistant to the, to the pressure that's being put on at the moment, the moment. I think there is a lot of pressure being put on them, but they're, they're not, they're not showing any cracks. Um, uh, so I think anybody who, who, who isn't already, um, well down that road to full compliance needs to, needs to, you know, really, really get a, get a move on.
to, to, to suggest a one-year delay would be deceptively simple for the Commission, but not necessarily the, 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 the best option. Um, and any option that, that they do come up with, the Commission needs to, needs to make a decision soon so that people can prepare for it. Um, and and, and they, they, they need to make sure that it's not that the, the architecture that is needed um, is in place um, before the, the, the clock starts ticking again. Um, you know, if, if you were, if you, if you were going to move into a new home, you wouldn't want to move into a home with no kitchen and no bathroom. Mm. So I don't think the, the commission can really expect um, companies to, to be able to meet the requirements of the, of the IVDR without the notified bodies, without the guidance documents, without the reference laboratories. It's, it's, it's the same kind of thing that, that, that architecture really needs to be in place. Um, and, and hopefully um, we'll see the commission maybe over the coming weeks and months start to make a, a decision, but, but make it soon and, 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 and make it make it realistic so that IVD companies can, can get their certificates on time. So that option needs to be seized soon. Um, and meantime, for the UK industry accessing the EU27, I mean, how how worried how worried should we be? Should the industry be that the products and companies will not be able to continue to place their products on, on the market in the EU? Well, the, the MHRA said that they will accept CE marking, um, uh, EU CE marking, all the way through till June 23. Um, but in, in, in May 22, if there's, there's this high attrition of, of, of products that don't have an EU CE mark because they don't meet the requirements of IVDR, because that architecture, that infrastructure isn't in place, then there, there, there could be some attrition. Um, and, and we really need to see um, uh, laboratories prepare for that. We need to see companies prepare for that. Yes, the UK CA mark could be a safe haven for some for some IVDs um, if that's the right market for, for for manufacturers. But otherwise, there'll be there'll there'll be a halt. There'll be this 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 what I call the IVDR cliff edge, um, and and we need we need to kind of you know brace ourselves for that. Unfortunately, the UK has has, has no real uh, no real lobbying power with the, with the Commission, so we're we're relying on our on our colleagues uh, in the EU to be doing that, and, and MedTech Europe in particular to be doing that lobbying on our behalf. So that's a huge concern. We're back in the UK is potentially how you have, how you want to address it. It's an exciting time for, for, for regulation. Um, uh, and on a general regulatory topic going beyond, um, digital, Andrew, Stephen Lightfoot, MHRA said recently at one of your meetings that one size doesn't have to fit all in terms of products accessing the market. Um, and if I've read that right, meaning that not all risk classes and company sizes perhaps have to go un- undergo the same level of regulatory oversight it might depend on the technology, but um, it, all that remains to be decided, I imagine. But in regulatory terms, how can that be used, that provision be used um, to innovation's advantage in the UK? As you kind of outlined there, we, we've never really had a one-size-fits-all. That's the, the whole point of the, the different classes. So, you know, it, it's, it's welcome that, you know, that obviously an approach is going to continue. And we we've certainly as industry have said we need to take a, a risk based approach to how we structure our regulatory framework going forward. And yeah, if you can get those structures right, so you can have the appropriate regulation uh, with the, the minimum bureaucracy and uh, burden around that while still maintaining patient safety, you, you then become an attractive country for, for uh, companies to launch their products and bring them to patients so the system, the patients get the benefit as quickly as possible. That that's really you know that's that's the goal. Minimise the regulation to a, the lowest point where it's still safe and appropriate, and do so in a streamlined, agile manner that will will mean that 
uh, companies can uh, quickly move to that system with certainty and with transparency of the criteria. And minimising that activity locally perhaps means, as you said um, just recently, relying on other, the outputs of other global regulatory systems um, to uh, ensure products reach the market in the UK. How, how realistic is that, do you think, Andrew? I, I don't know if we'll ever fully rely on another system. Um, I haven't heard you know, that approach being mooted from MHR, etc. But certainly uh, we're looking to align with, with some of the requirements for the system. There's still be our own local checks. Uh, as I mentioned before, you have uh, INDRF and MHRA and our uh, status at the moment with INDRF having uh, never moved out of the EU. So, yeah, we are directly inputting into those global conversations to see how we can uh, align what we do. Okay, and going back to digital and a different kind of market access, NICE has acknowledged that it needs to look at its capacity for medtech and the new focus on digital that's required. It admits that it's slow and needs to be able to adapt. And the chief executive said that herself recently. So, Andrew, from a health tech and medtech standpoint, how should and what? how will it need to adapt? Yeah, I mean, capacity is clearly an issue within NICE. Um, um, you know, they're, they're constrained by what their budget enables them to do. Uh, but certainly, yeah, we, we would uh, be pressing for you know, more emphasis on, on getting health technologies through the process. Uh, I would say at the same time, though, we, we shouldn't concentrate solely on NICE as the route to market. Uh, you know, if you look at uh, traditional medical devices, the majority of those have never been anywhere near nuts. Um, so it's about which, t- again, it's that tiered approach. Which are the technologies that are appropriate to go through nice, through which program uh, of nice, and, and which might be better off you know, uh, just going through the uh, the baseline DTAC uh, assessments and that sort of route. So it's about having the appropriate routes for for the risk level, and you know it's. N- we, we like NICE, they've got some great processes, robust, transparent, but it's not appropriate for everything. So is that something that might change as the five-year review of NICE picks up pace and some impl- some decisions become implemented? Yeah, I, I think that this is something sort of broader than just NICE. And I know, you know, they, they themselves are in discussion with NHSX about, you know, alignment with DTAG, with MHRA, about alignment on, on evidence requirements, etc. So it's about looking at the wider system um, rather than just purely what NICE is doing. You know, the, the NICE review will look, ensure that they have the right methodologies, uh, the, the right evidence standards, etc., for what they are doing. So, and that's great, but we need to widen that about how the whole system enables that, that flow of innovation. Thank you. Well, and then last, I'd like coming to the last question positively for NICE. Um, it said it performed well in um, its production of pandemic work guidelines, but more generally um, re- relating to the pandemic. Steve, Steve, um, what can and should be the legacy effect of, of COVID-19 still present at high levels in the UK and elsewhere uh, beyond the regulation of a perceived value of IBDs? What dividend is there to be had from the pandemic in that? Yes, I think I think you're right. We've still got a long way to go before we see the end of it, but we should be starting to, to think about a, 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 the positive legacy um, that, that, that it, could, it could bring us. And you know, we we saw from MHRA they they worked a lot on 
um, you know, the vaccines aside, that um, in terms of devices, they've, they worked on ventilators, they worked on COVID tests, and they worked on uh, PPE. And I, I think, you know, when you when you look at the ventilator challenge, uh, and, and that showed that they have the ability to kind of streamline um, and, and, and be uh, regulations and be really pragmatic about which regulations are really important for the here and now, and which can be picked up in a, in a kind of post market way, you know, to, to to ensure patient safety, but but, but get that production running. Um, so that meant, um, you know, a, a college of experience, um, bringing together a, a lot of people from from outside the agency to to, to input into into some of those decisions, being able to make pragmatic decisions really quickly. That's something they also did, and 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 using um, what they're calling exceptional use um, uh, derogations. So being able to kind of make make it fit within the within the regulatory framework. Um, for, for 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 tests, they they also in, in addition to all of that, they also used target product profiles. Um, which kind of uh, uh, set out the landscape for where where developers should be working to 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 to, to build up and, and and meet that demand, and that's that was a, that was I think the kind of pull, the regulatory pull which we haven't seen before. We've seen a lot of technology push uh, to put products into the system, but we haven't seen a lot of regulatory pull to say which products should come through the system, uh, and, and we, we we hope we can see a lot of that. I'm not sure they've learned it yet, and, and this isn't about MHRA; it's about the the, the broader system, the burden. Of, of user validation um, on 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 uh, COVID tests and the the um, quite a lot of, of of bureaucracy and a lot of systems and a lot of noise trying for a manufacturer who's, who's got a CE mark on their product and is trying to get that taken up um, uh, within the NHS or, or within the test and trace system and finding that really really difficult and and and, and perhaps the government may be throwing bricks in the way when they should be when they should be helping to to form a clear path. Uh, I, I I do hope that's going to be one of the lessons and that the COVID-19 test validation um, uh, legislation that's going through at the moment looks like it's going to be a brick rather than a path clearing exercise. So let's let, let, let's see how that pans out. And um, the same question um, to Andrew relating to the need for faster transformation to ingrain digital technologies um, for both public health emergencies and routine and elective care. Yeah, um, if we look if we look at the uh, the COVID legacy, um, you know, one of the, the the big learnings from that was the the need to share data and the, the impact that can have, and you know, using uh, the the derogations that were permissible within a public health emergency to do so. Um, every everyone in the system has really lauded that approach and says, you know, it really changed things and the health have outcomes. And, yeah, we've now seen the, the health data strategy published, which is uh, looking to enshrine, you know, some of these uh, more open approaches to, to data sharing. And I think that's really, that sharing of data is, is the fundamental bedrock to, to enabling digital technologies. So the, the more we can go there, uh, the better. But the, the key thing here is the public and patient trust in that system and the data sharing. And you know, they're going into detail. We've uh, once again had some uh, concerns raised there with the latest GP data collections. Um, so we, we do need a, cons- uh, a really considered dialogue with, with, with society and our citizens about the use of health data and how it can be shared. But most of all, the benefits it can bring both to individuals, to, to groups and, and to the health system. And that That's I think it really is, is the key thing to take forward. And again, you know, it, it's part of the life science vision. Um, it's, it's put in there and really hope that the government will act on that. Thank you, Andrew. So a lot to work on and a lot for the UK to potentially integrate 
into the system moving forward. Um, fascinating um, thoughts and insight. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Steve and Andrew, um, for sharing your thoughts on these major themes for the medtech industry in and beyond the UK. We look forward to seeing how these changes will be adapted and their effect on innovation uptake. Thank you. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks.